When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. The eye of the enemy is moving. <laughs> Frodo moves closer to Mordor. How do we know Frodo is alive? What does your heart tell you? Come, Master. Come to speak. This is your test. Every path you have trod through wilderness, through war led to this road. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, and the story is as follows. The culmination of nearly 10 years' worth of work and conclusion to Peter Jackson's epic trilogy based on the timeless J.R.R. Tolkien classic, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King presents the final confrontation between the forces of good and evil fighting for control of the future of Middle-earth. Hobbits Frodo and Sam reach Mordor in their quest to destroy the One Ring, while Aragorn leads the forces of good against Sauron's evil army at the Stone City of Minas Tirith. The film is starring. Deep breath, everybody. Elijah Wood, Ian McKellen, Liv Tyler, Viggo Mortensen, Sean Astin, Kate Blanchett, John Reese Davies, Bernard Hill, Billy Boyd, Dominic Monaghan, Orlando Bloom, Hugo Weaving, Miranda Otto, David Wenham, Carl Urban, John Noble, Andy Serkis, Ian Holmes, Sean Bean, if you watch the extended edition. <laughs> it is directed by Peter Jackson, co-written by Fran Walsh, Philippa Boynes, with Peter Jackson also contributing towards the screenplay. For this Patreon throwback podcast review, as we finish the trilogy after three years, three podcasts, I have joining me here tonight, Alyssa Christian. Hello, so excited to talk about this tonight. And we have two guests here, two people who I knew would be so excited to talk about this movie, Aaron White from FeelinFilm.com. Thank you, thank you. Very, very much excited and grateful to be here. And also J.D. Duran from InSessionFilm.com. Well, 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 we meet again, Matthew. JD, it's been so long, seriously. <laughs> no, this isn't the first rodeo for Matt and I talking about this movie. No, it is not. How many years ago was that now at this point? It was 2021. Yeah. And uh, it was a different time. We lived in a different world then. And 
we did a series on these films. And of course we invited Matt to join us and he joined us for this movie. And it was a really great conversation. I actually listened to it uh, in preparation for this episode. And I came to the conclusion that I'm a bigger fan than Matt of Lord of the Rings. Oh, the objective truth of Matt. So we will fight once again. I'm kind of in disbelief over this opening right now. I really don't know what to say. Um, (laughs) Anyone who has listened to me here on this podcast knows that the Lord of the Rings movie trilogy forever changed my life. It was the movie experience that made me fall in love with the making of film and thus set me on a journey which has led me to where I am today. And so being 11, 12, 13 years old when these three movies came out, the anticipation for The Return of the King felt like, quite honestly, the longest wait for a movie ever in my life. That I remember very, very well, like that year between Two Towers and Return of the King was forever in my mind. I, seasons of television waiting, you know, for, I don't know, the next season of Game of Thrones didn't even feel this long. And I just remember immersing myself so heavily in every single behind the scenes uh, feature I could find, reading the books and just trying my best to really in, like ingrain myself into all things Tolkien as I waited for the release of this movie. And here we are 20 years later. Um, I can't think of another film ever that I've rewatched more than The Lord of the Rings. Now, when I say The Lord of the Rings, I'm not specifically referencing just The Return of the King. I mean, like, the whole trilogy in general. In fact, outside of these uh, last three watches of Fellowship, Two Towers, and now Return of the King, every time I go to rewatch Lord of the Rings, I always have to watch all three of them. I can't just simply watch one of them. So that's been very odd for me these last three years. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But here we are today. JD, I don't know what grounds you have for saying that you love this movie more than me, but I am interested to dive into it a little bit. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. There might actually be some truth to that, which I will get into as we get into our review here. Yeah. As I continue to set the stage, because the stage needs to be set here, uh, this was, of course, like I said, the culmination of Peter Jackson's uh, trilogy, massive amount of anticipation, the first two films critically beloved this one releases it's not only over three hours it's three hours and 21 minutes long and it gets this rapturous response from critics from audiences it becomes the highest grossing film of the trilogy and then of course in one of the most historic award season runs ever at the 76 academy awards it wins all 11 oscars for which it is nominated for including best picture becoming the first fantasy film to do so Mm -hmm. tying the all-time win record with ben-hur and titanic and thus really putting an amazing endpoint on this storybook saga of the making of these movies the release of these movies and in the years since then just the love and uh the the, the devoted following it has gathered how does it hold up and that's what i usually ask when we do these retrospective throwback reviews of course it holds up incredibly well but i want to hear everyone else's story behind this i want to know what your relationship has been like with not just return of the king but the trilogy as a whole as we Close the book on these three incredible movies. Alyssa, starting off with you. 
Yeah, so I was not originally a fan of the first two. I actually didn't become interested in the whole trilogy until I think after Two Towers was released. Oddly enough, my younger brother was a bigger fan than I was, and he kind of turned me on to those movies. So then I became really invested in them, and the only one I saw in the theater was actually Return of the King. So that's probably why that one is so special to me. And I had never really read the books. I wasn't familiar with the story. I wasn't familiar with Tolkien at all, really. But I just knew as soon as I started to really watch them. And when I saw Return of the King, I was just so in awe of that. And I mean, I sat down for the entire almost three and a half hours. And I just remember that was such an amazing experience. And it was funny because I kept thinking it was over. And then it's like, oh, no, there's more. Oh, there's more. But honestly, I loved every minute of it. And I honestly don't know how many times I've watched it over the years. I wouldn't say that it's the movie I've watched the most over the years, but I've definitely seen it many times. And I just did my recent rewatch earlier tonight, and I think I probably watched it again a couple of years ago. But I usually am like you. I try to watch all three at once because it just makes so much more sense. And you see the completion of the trilogy. And it's just amazing to think, that they filmed all three at once. And I definitely have watched a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And I had the box set. I would listen to the score because the score is so iconic. Mm-hmm. And I also have watched the reunion that they did a few years ago during the pandemic. Remember they did that with Josh Gad moderating. So that was really a fun thing to watch. And it's clear that all of the actors, they still love that they were part of that. And they just uh, really like to reminisce on that, which is really great. They're so good with the fans and everything too. But seriously, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. If you look on my letterbox, it's in my top four favorites. So really, I mean, I'm excited to dive more into it, but definitely one of my favorite movies ever. So, All right. Heading over next now to J.D. Duran. J.D. Okay, so I was in high school when these films came out. I didn't read any of the books or anything growing up. I went into the films pretty blind, but ended up falling in love with Fellowship quite a bit. That's still my favorite of the three. But over the course of the next few years, it was something that I was very much looking forward to. I was there day one. And as a trilogy at the time, I was pretty floored by it. And at the time, I was also, I guess, starting to discover who I was as a cinephile, I guess. And these films were pretty formative in that regard. So I've always held these films pretty near and dear, maybe not quite to the level of Matt, but still pretty close to the chest for sure. And I've revisited them occasionally over the years. I didn't really dabble into them as much as I probably would have liked to, which is why, I guess, at the at the risk of sounding maybe a little pretentious, why I really wanted to do that series on our show a few years ago because it had been quite a while since I have seen them really wanted to dive into the extended versions, especially because I do find this rewarding. Podcasting for me has been extremely rewarding. 
when you watch these movies and you really study them and, you know, you get on these recordings and you talk with people that you love, you, you just, you really walk away uh, from these movies oftentimes feeling something extra about them one way or another. And of course these films I've already loved. And so doing that exercise on our show, which of course, as I noted earlier, Matt was a part of was extremely extremely rewarding i ended up falling in love with these movies all over again in some ways it was it, it, it was a, it was a different form of love it was like it was the first time again in some ways and uh so yeah i walked away from that just uh with a with a newfound respect and and adoration for for this trilogy so yeah it's pretty crazy that we've uh it's been 20 years already but simply you know, some of the best films of all time, hands down. I honestly can't believe it. Like, I yeah. wonder where time went when I, I think <laughs> to myself, 20 years, holy crap. It's wild. You know? <laughs> yeah. I know. Sure. I was also in high school when Return of the King was released. So, yeah, I feel old. <laughs> yeah. All right. Aaron White. Aaron the White. <laughs> Aaron the White. Yeah. That's, well, just to clarify my username, it's because my middle initial is L, not because... I'm actually white. Uh, it's Aaron L. White for my middle initial. But uh, yeah, so I was not in high school. I was in my early 20s when they came out, uh, the films that is. But you know, before that, I had grown up with a dad who was very big into the fantasy films and storytelling of that time. I also grew up in a very Christian household. And so Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were kind of the gold standards of what I – came up reading uh, when I was young. The Hobbit has always been my favorite book of all time. It's the one book that I revisit every single year. I've shifted over the years to doing different audiobook versions of it or reading different, you know, takes on the book to kind of freshen things up, but it is my favorite story ever still to this day. Mm -hmm. And I read Lord of the Rings in high school, loved it, but not quite as much as The Hobbit. Uh, so I was very excited when the films you know, first came out. I think that being someone who was not quite the level of Star Wars fan that a lot of people around me were, The Lord of the Rings immediately became you know, my version of epic cinematic blockbuster storytelling. And I just latched onto it immediately. The emotion, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about, I'm sure there's so much in this episode as we discuss this film is really where I connect deeply to this entire trilogy in this this world of Middle Earth that Tolkien has created. There's something special about it and there's something very unique in that, you know, it's not a hero's journey. It's a story about so many people and they all have to do their parts and all of these little things have to come into play perfectly. It's not one person doing a thing. It's all of them overcoming something. And that just really resonated with me. And so it's, it's become the thing that I care about the most. It's my biggest fandom. I have memorabilia all over my house. I have a cat named Strider after Aragorn. Uh, I have a dog named Gimli because he's a red dwarf. Uh, it's nice. just something that, you know, it lives rent free in my head. And I, too, rewatch them pretty much every year. Uh, in recent years, I actually have taken to often taking off a couple of days of work and I'll watch 
the Hobbit trilogy and the Lord of the Rings trilogy back to back. And I don't care. Go ahead. Slander me if you want, listeners. But I like those, too. But I I love it. Uh, You know, it's it never seems to age. That was the thing that struck me when I rewatched it this most recent time was we talk about 20 years and how crazy that is. But even if you're watching the non 4K version of this, it looks just as good, if not better than the majority of films that come out, any kind of epic storytelling that comes out to this day. And it's just it's mind blowing. You almost cannot fathom something else ever achieving the level of of depth and storytelling that this trilogy has. I, I don't know. I really don't know what could come close. There's maybe a couple contenders, but yeah, it's just something that I adore deeply. I love all of the characters and I think it will forever be my number one favorite thing uh, in all of just every kind of fiction fandom. (laughs) History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. So, as I said before, a great deal of anticipation when I saw this in 2003. I remember my experience of watching it in the theater was quite miraculous because they actually showed Fellowship Two Towers beforehand, and then they showed Return of the King. So it was an all-day affair. Mm. And I remember being there with members of my family And I'll never forget the image of me standing up at the end of Return to King and clapping so enthusiastically, standing ovation, which I thought was like an appropriate thing to do at that time (laughs) in my life. Uh, You know, you you don't normally see me doing that today unless if it's like, you know, one of those things where you like look around. Okay, is everybody else doing it? Okay, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, like I'll clap, but like standing up and clapping, that's my might be a little much. Um, But I got up, I stood up, I clapped and I'll never forget looking over to the side and there's my aunt, her head in a a pillow. She actually brought a pillow with her to the theater and they let her bring it in. (laughs) And just the image of my dad like asleep and like all of her members of my family uh, who didn't make it through. (laughs) Some did, but others didn't. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it was it was life changing. It really, really was. And I also felt, too, at that time, you know, you knew something special had happened. But what I didn't realize until later, and you can't really appreciate this until you get perspective and there is shifts within the culture of film that this really was the culmination 
of movies that are shot on film, not digitally, but movies shot on film and the use of special effects and visual effects together. Mm-hmm. Like, like this was the peak, you know, of what could be accomplished. We had already seen a lot of really innovative, great stuff in the 90s with Terminator 2, Jurassic Park, Titanic. And then right before the trilogy came out, I remember Gladiator in 2000. Uh, obviously use visual effects in a, in a way that on a scale that was very impressive. But these films, these films just had a quality about them that allowed for you to get lost in the storytelling, really get close to the characters and get so emotionally attached, like Aaron said, because these films wear their hearts on their sleeve. They're not they're not subtle movies, OK, by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination, but they do it in a way that is just so pure that you really can't help but be drawn to them to some degree or another. And so I found myself exhilarated, terrified, laughing, falling in love. And honestly, like by the end of it all, I I, I don't remember which critic said this. I really, really wish. But there was a line. I'll never forget reading a review. And it said something to the effect of, I've seen sunrises, I've seen babies being born, and I've seen The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. And it's like, yeah, like, <laughs> this really is like one of the most beautiful, uh, I, I, you know, call it entertainment, call it art, call it whatever you want, but it's one of the most beautiful accomplishments, I think, not just films, but just mm-hmm. an accomplishment yeah. of so many people coming together, perfect casting, perfect writing, and ad- perfect adaptation, where yes, okay, fine. We can get into specifics about certain things uh, maybe being left on the cutting room floor. Uh, we're not necessarily reviewing the extended edition for this review, although I'm not going to prevent anyone from commenting on some of the scenes that were inserted back in for the extended edition if you want to do so. Uh, but it's really cool that we also got that as well from all of this, as if three hours and 21 minutes wasn't enough. Let's push that to over four hours. <laughs> Spread it over two discs. Hell yeah. Insert disc two. <laughs> that that dreaded sign, the journey continues on disc two whenever I oh, see yeah. it. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I love it, though. I love spending time in this world. I love spending time with these characters. Hell, even the Hobbit trilogy, which I don't really particularly like as much as this, um, which is obviously not shocking to say, but it's true. I, I do not love it. And, I, and I've tried. I've, like, tried to, like, force myself to love those movies. Um, I can never get myself on the level as I quite do with these. But I still love being in this world. And I still love, mm-hmm. you know, being a part of what Tolkien created with Middle Earth. And it means so, so much to me. So this is, like, clearly, along with Fellowship of the Ring and Two Towers, the most biased review you will ever hear from me. Uh, because, believe it or not, I do have flaws to point out with this movie. And I will get to some of those in this review here. Uh, And yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, you'll never hear me defend a movie more than I'm probably about to defend this one, uh, because I actually do think that of the three films, Fellowship, Two Towers and Return of the King, I actually think Return of the King has the highest highs of the three films, but also the lowest lows. Interesting. (laughs) And it's a very interesting balance that this movie strikes for me. And I think that a lot of those lows take place, particularly in act one of this film. Uh, But by the time it really gets into the battle for Minas Tirith, 
the uh, the Rohirrim showing up and the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, and we get into Act Three. Like a lot of my issues do fade away. So, mm-hmm. yep, we're gonna fight again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's do that. I I, I want to hear. <laughs> maybe maybe JD is a bigger Lord of the Rings fan. <laughs> I think. That's, I mean, that's I don't, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, like when we talked about it on our show, I did not anticipate that at all. I went in knowing that he was going to rave about this, and I have a few things that I was going to nitpick as well. And then he started talking about certain aspects, and I'm here you know, uh, fervently defending what he is criticizing. And I'm like, I guess I like this more than he does, even though he's like the biggest champion I know of this movie. It was just a fun little irony. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do the same thing again here. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) So the only way I know how to go through this, because quite frankly, this is such a massive film to tackle. And tackling it in the same way that I normally would any other review, it would be, I think, just a little too difficult. So I'm going to refer to my notes, which I took in chronological order, and I'm going to use those to kind of guide us through what I feel are the chapters of this movie that are worth commenting on. So starting off first with the film's prologue, which is Andy Serkis finally actual face on screen as mm-hmm. Gollum I know. or as Smeagol. Yeah. And uh, we get this uh, scene between him and his friend Deagle. Uh, what do you guys think of this opening scene? I think it's brilliant, obviously. I love the whole movie. But yeah, it's a really unique way to get the backstory. I mean, I definitely did not expect to see that when I first watched it. I was like, oh, this is where we're going. And honestly, I didn't always love the beginning, but then I grew to really appreciate it. What didn't you love about it at first? I don't know. I just thought that it was very different because we had never seen those characters before, at least that way. Yeah. So I just didn't like that, you know, they didn't show the characters who I knew already. But then, you know, once you see it in the context of the whole trilogy, it makes a lot more sense. I think there's something very interesting about this compared to the intro intro of um, not just Fellowship, because Fellowship has its own like epic prologue. But Two Towers has like this really thrilling opening with Gandalf and the Balrog that really gets people's adrenaline pumping. This one is more, I think, horrific because of how intimate and personal it is where these two people who are shown as friends are so quickly torn apart into enemies over this ring, which shows you the power that this thing has to corrupt people's minds. Mm -hmm. And you see right from the very beginning how quickly Smeagol um, is just so captivated by this ring and drawn into Mm -hmm. its presence. And I think that by reestablishing the power of the ring and its ability to corrupt, um, you know, they always talk about how it corrupts like the hearts and minds of men Um, here. It's like, I can't remember exactly, but I I don't believe Smeagol is technically a hobbit. He's like some form of ancestry of hobbit, isn't he? I think so. Well, in any event, though, it just shows you that the ring has the power to manipulate and corrupt anyone that it comes into uh, contact with. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, to kind of establish that uh, hold that it has over people to, you know, result in uh, murdering your best friend, I think is a great, great way to then uh, establish the ring as a character once again because of how much of an impact it has on Frodo later on in the story. 
Yeah, I think what it also does, and this tethers to my thoughts with the character and the two towers, because I think part of, you know, the journey of Gollum and his relationship with Frodo, I do think is very important in the context of this movie as well, because what we see there is Frodo empathizing with him and seeing beyond this, uh, you know, this murky exterior. And so what I love about the beginning of this film is sure it establishes a little bit of what happened to Smeagol, how he found the ring and then ultimately became Gollum. But I think more than that, what it does is without being redundant, re-emphasize that empathy that Frodo had demonstrated in the previous film because we do see him in human form. And I think that is important in terms of recontextualizing what that character is, that at one point he wasn't just this creature, he wasn't just this monster, he took the same human form as Frodo. Mm -hmm. So it, I think, emphasizes and heightens that empathy that was important in that film, which I think carries very much into this movie, foreshadowing Matt and I later on in this conversation. Uh, that I think is important here and of course as you're talking about there Matt it also draws parallels between Frodo and Smeagol as well because both of them eventually become corrupted uh, by the ring because of its power but there is of course a juxtaposition with how each of them uh, you know how their arcs are crystallized as a result of the ring so I, I love how the film is able to draw those parallels Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our review for The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, here on the next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the over three-hour-long full review, you will have to head on over to Next Best Picture's Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you'll get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate feedback and your support. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.